turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6. Notice I had no announcements today. It was so awesome for me. Uh, they took everything off my plate today. They took all the announcements. We can get right into Hebrews chapter 6. I appreciate your prayers. A little bit ago, I was downstairs on my knees in the uh, prayer. Well, it's not the prayer room. It's the ATG room. But we make it into every, it's a multi-purpose prayer room. So pray for me this morning. I feel plenty of attack. The enemy does not want this message to be heard. I tell you, he does not like Hebrews chapter 6. But God wants you to hear it, and so I appreciate your prayers. I'm part wound up, part fired up, part um, under attack all at the same time. But, uh, but God is good. Amen? Hebrews 6. Looking at verses 1 through 8. Starting with verse 1. Therefore, leaving this discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. This we will do if God permits. For it is impossible for those who are once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. Not good, huh? For the earth which shrinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for uh, those by whom it is cultivated, receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. Let's pray again. Father, we pray for your wisdom, the enlightening of the Holy Spirit. You give us revelation, understanding. But Lord, we would respond with obedience and application that you would change us, Lord, Use these stern warnings, but also these encouragements to help be ready for your coming quickly. I ask for your strength and your power, and you would open the ears of these, your people, including myself, or teach me while I'm teaching. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. There are many aspects of the infinite love of God. Wouldn't you say that the love of God would be really hard to describe at all? Yes. Well, of course. That's why we use the word infinite. When we think about the love of God. But if you were reading last week, or how many of you were reading Proverbs chapter 3 last week? You, you spent some time with us the first three days. If you're reading Proverbs 3 last week, you were reminded that whom the Lord loves, he chastens. That's where it says right there. Corrects. A little swat. A stern talking to sometimes. A wake-up call. A you need to hear this. There are people in your life that will tell you what you want to hear. They know what you want to hear. They know how to pacify you, flatter you. God will never flatter you. He won't pacify you. He won't tell you what you want to hear. God tells us what we need to hear. Amen? What we need to hear. And if you're taking notes this morning, we're looking at this uh, message this morning, which I've titled, The Peril of Partial Commitment. We have a lot of partially committed people these days, right? Yeah. Uh, this is how gym memberships are sold, right? They know that most people will not even come, but they'll pay a monthly fee. So they're counting on 90% not showing up, 10%, because you know if everyone showed up, you'd never get on the elliptical machine. You'd be like, there's a line of 30 people. But they know partial commitment is commonplace. They expect it. They predicate the business model on the fact that most people will not show up, or if they do, very much less than they ever expected to. So if you're taking notes this morning as we look at this, there is a peril to it when it comes to the spiritual realm. And the first thing we want to take a look at this morning, what I've titled, Forward in Faith. Do you think God wants to move you forward? Do you think the Holy Spirit desires you to move forward? We've been talking about being while becoming. Think about it as we just prayed and read the Word. As we... Think about this Tuesday, as, if you were to fast and pray. As you become people of prayer, you then become 
participating by the Holy Spirit in the benefits and the spiritual impartation of things like power, peace, perseverance. But you have to be people of prayer to be people of power, to become people of perseverance, to become people of patience, all of these different things. So take a look back at the text. Look at verse 1. Therefore, leaving the discussions. Now, every time you see a therefore, you've got to understand what it, why it's there. What's it referring to? So given the timely admonishment back in verses 11 through 14, if you were here last week, you know, it talks about, you know, many of you should be teachers by now. Many of you are dull of hearing. You have this admonishment in verse 11 through 14, uh, but given that admonishment, it's, uh, that, that admonishment was to reopen their spiritual ears. If, if I'm going back to last week for a second. To renew that interest in the things of the Spirit and to be dedicated to the study of the Word of God. One of the reasons why I believe the Lord had us, again, read the Word of God aloud is so you and I together, we experience the power of the Word, remind us that we also need to invest, uh, invest that time personally, not just together. And maybe, Lord, this week wants you to read a few verses out loud in your prayer clause, just out loud. Thus saith the Lord type thing. Read it for yourself, but we have to rededicate ourselves to the study of the Word. Uh, remember, they were to add to their faith, add to the milk of their faith. Remember, we talked about that milk is never something you get away from in the sense of, I still like milk. How about, how about the rest of you? Man, you get a dessert. Milk is... It, it take, it's a force multiplier to make dessert even better, isn't it, right? Milk, you don't get away from milk, but you don't just live on milk. You're not like, you don't walk around a baby bottle. You say, I like milk, but I also like cheeseburgers, right? I've expanded my palate. So we add to the milk of our faith, we add to the milk of our faith more in-depth knowledge of the Scripture, more meat, more study of the Word of God. Why? And, and we looked at this last week that we would become teachers in the sense of not necessarily a pastor or an evangelist, but teachers in the fact that you can disciple another person one-on-one. -on -one. Many of what he was saying, many of you should be disciplers by now. That's really what the, the, the con, many of you should be already bringing others up in the faith by now, especially if you've been saved for any length of time. Uh, but the admonishment, um, the admonishment was, again, that, look, God's given you the word, and as you meditate on it, you're going to become able to do these things. So now we have this, therefore, leaving the elementary uh, discussions. Um, it's time to stop only talking about these things, just sitting on the central elements of our faith, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles, not just sitting on these things, not just talking about them, but... Uh, with a very noteworthy warning here, uh, it goes on to say, let us go on. And if you look at the, the other verse that we'll get to in a few minutes, uh, verses four, five, and, uh, 4, 5, 6, and 7, uh, for it is impossible those who were once enlightened and tasted the heavenly gift. What we have here is this exhortation and encouragement that then moves into one of the most noteworthy warnings, and I would say, hard to understand scriptures, complex scriptures, and all the Bible. One that's actually been debated among theologians that we'll get into in just a few minutes, but you go from this exhortation to a very strong warning. So let's go. It's kind of like a coach saying, let's go hit the field together. Oh, and by the way, if you don't, big, big warning. All of that is bound up in these eight verses. But we have a very clear contrast uh, in the text of following the will of God and the tragedy of self-will. Do we understand the difference? Following the will of God and the tragedy of self-will. So let's turn our attention back to verse 6 again. Therefore, um, in other words, since it's been well established that all of you, looking back to the previous verses, 11 through 14 from last week, it's been well established that all of you should now be mature in the Lord, able to make disciples as Christ commanded. Now, this phrase immediately after, therefore, leaving the elementary principles of Christ. 
At first glance, you say, why would we do that? Why would we leave? Uh, well, it's not so much leave them, it's grow upon them. Does that make sense? Leaving them, in other words, you're not leaving them behind, but you're adding to, again, milk, baby food, solid food. So you're not leaving them behind, but you're not only staying there. You've got to, it's progress. Instead of saying one time around the track, four times around the track, okay? Leaving the days where you could only do, you ever started working out or exercising, you could only do 20 minutes? Leaving the days you could only do 20 minutes, progress to the days you can do 40, right? That's kind of the mindset here. Um, so the thought is not in any way leaving behind the gospel or leaving behind the essentials of the faith, but rather building on them in those areas that Christ wants to gr us to grow in his word. The word elementary in the Greek speaks of things that are rudimentary, rudimentary, i.e. those things that are building blocks, right? So you have the foundation, things you build upon, the rudimentary, the foundational things, but then you build on those foundational layers. In other words, the structure is laid, but now the Lord wants to build our lives up in him, build us up in him upon the foundation but we have to be willing to grow. We have to say, Lord, I want to grow. I want you to put the stud walls in and the sheetrock in and paint the walls. I, I don't want to. How many of you would like to just live on the foundation of your house? Nothing else. As long as I have a good foundation, man. And a tornado coming in, I, we don't have to worry about walls going down because there are no walls. Oh, that's great. No. You want the foundation to be strong, but then you want to put things up, and God wants to build you up. He wants to build you into a house. The scriptures even tell us this. Paul writes of this to the church elsewhere. Now, we know that this is the intent because the word perfection is used here. Now, I said earlier, I didn't mention that you were perfect servants, but faithful. So why do we have the word perfection here? Well, the word perfection here, what it really means is maturity. Maturity. Do you trust your business or responsibilities or even your kids, if you were looking for a baby, to mature people? Well, yeah. And they say, you know what I really like? I like to give my greatest responsibility to really immature people. No, God says, I want to give the responsibilities to mature, those that are being perfected, matured by the Lord. And there's a maturity that God has set for each of us in our lifetime to attain only the Holy Spirit knows it. So however many years I have, if I live to be 81, if I live to be 90, whatever it is, there is a spiritual maturity that I will reach if I continue walking with Jesus. And I don't know what it looks like, nor do you, but God has set the bar. And we continue to, Paul said, press towards the mark of the high calling. What is that high calling? It's just to obey day by day. But as we obey day by day, we begin to reach the bar that God has set for us which we can't see. It's an invisible bar. But we know it's there because the Lord is telling us here. So we continue to press towards that. Uh, it's not that we're working for our salvation, nothing of the sort. We, we're saved by grace. But our obedience in reaching spiritual places that the Lord has set for us, that's where this obedience leads to. Understand that steady, this should be an encouragement to you. We're, we're talking about all this year, being while becoming. Steady progress is maturity. Steady progress is maturity. Uh, progress of an inch is progress. <laughs> no progress is not maturity. That's immature, or it's worse than that. It could be rebellion. But here in the middle of verse 1, there's a transition away from being negligent uh, in cultivating growth to a different type of issue altogether, um, not laying again the foundation of repentance, middle of the verse, not, let us go on, but not laying again this foundation so here we have a transition, uh, though I think it warns us, um, it's a different issue, but I think it warns us uh, that not desiring to grow and not desiring to take new steps makes us vulnerable to other traps of the enemy. Did you hear what I said? If you're not desiring to grow and you're not desiring to move forward, you become vulnerable to other attacks that you would be they would be imperceivable to you, but Satan easily is laying traps. You say, if your desire is not to go forward, then Satan can easily pull you backward. 
this is what uh, is being laid out. I really like how Pastor David Guzik addresses this transition in the verse. He says, the writer rebuked his leaders for their spiritual immaturity, but he knew that nothing was gained by treating them as immature, so he moves on to other ideas. There's nothing gained in uh, any pastor beating you up if you were immature, but to say, come on, you can't stay there, right? And here's the things that the Lord wants to lay forth or, or lay out. And these subsequent admonitions are directly connected to the fact that the audience, being Hebrew, Jewish believers in Christ, but today we call them messianic believers, right? So the, the audience, remember, that's why it's called the book of Hebrews. It was written to Jewish believers, primarily, not exclusively, but primarily. And then, of course, today, it's written to all of us. It wasn't only to them, but they were the target of the bullseye. They had a foundation before salvation of what? Judaism, the law. And they saw in the law much of what is familiar and then fulfilled and then added to, or I should say it's fulfilled in Jesus in the new covenant. So in other words, the foundations were already there. Jesus came, when you ever remember Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law? Do you know what it actually means? It means if you have like a half a cup of water, it's to fill it up to the top. In other words, the, the half doesn't get dumped out. It just gets filled up. The half, the, your Bible is not really half because the Old Testament is much larger than the New Testament. But the Old Testament passages, they're filling this much of the cup. Jesus comes along and says, when I came to fulfill, it's to fill up the rest, to add to it but not take away. He said not one jot or tittle will be removed, right? So he fulfilled the law. Well, they already had a foundation of the gospel, whether they realize it or not, then when they get saved, they could actually see some of these things. For example, repentance was commanded in the law in the Old Testament. Wouldn't you agree that repentance is found all through the Old Testament? God commands the children of Israel to repent. So was faith. Abraham believed God. It was accounted unto him as righteousness. So were the doctrines of ritual washings. Matter of fact, the word baptism here is not the same word that's used for what we consider the immersion baptism. It's a different word that usually means cleaning or cleansing, washing of hands, getting yourself clean before uh, certain spiritual uh, rituals or feasts and things like that. So they were used to that. Then you had, they believed in a future resurrection. They believed that judgment was coming. So when Jesus taught these things, a lot of these things were not foreign to people that were Jewish. They're like, that's why some of them didn't even believe him. Like, so we already know that. We already know about repentance. We already know about washings. We already know about uh, using water. We, you're not teaching us something we don't know. That's why they, they were very prideful sometimes. Now, not the, not the believers here. They did believe in Christ. But what they saw is they say, wow, all those things that we already had are now even more illuminated in the Christian faith. So they didn't have to abandon. They could still be, and this is what Sam will talk about next week, when people get saved and they're Jewish, they don't have to abandon their Jewishness. It actually finally means more to them. Make sense? So there was a, there was a value here, but there's also a little bit of risk. We'll take a look at what, that, what I mean by that. Um, so all these things were commanded in the Old Testament prior to the coming of Jesus. And I agree with Bible scholars and teachers um, that what was taking place here, uh, that there were those in the church that the writer of Hebrews is directing this letter to that were not wanting to grow in Christ, but there were also those. Okay, there were some that were just comfortable right where they were, just like some of you may be. I'm just comfortable right where I am. I'm not going another inch. Many believers in the American church. But there were also those and no doubt some were maybe in both camps, that were trying to subtly re-blend into the unsaved Jewish community, to re-blend back in because they were getting a little too much heat, like saying, you guys aren't Jewish anymore. You kind of adopted too much of this new stuff, this Jesus stuff, this Yeshua stuff. Uh, you, can't, you can't really hang out with us if you're going to keep turning what Moses gave us into, into this new thing that Jesus, yeah, you kind of got a lot of our same substance and 
foundations, but so there were some that were suddenly deciding with a choice in the way they were worshiping and the way they were starting to gather. And here's kind of what the subtle kind of inference is, and I believe with scholars that are, that are seeing this in the text. A little less Christ, a little less cross, a little less grace. Kind of sounds like today's church, doesn't it? In America. A little less the cross. That's a little too offensive for everybody. A little less gospel, a little less grace, and a little more gifted communicators. Brilliant teachers. Words of, words of cliches that should be on best-selling books instead of the Bible. Because God's stuff is a little bit too harsh at times. See, they were facing some persecution, and they could... By making these slight deviations, they could blend in a little bit with a subtle denial of Christ, but still many of the same core elements of this new life in Christ, the same foundation, uh, kind of push Christ off to the side and look very much like Judaism again. And then their Jewish unsaved neighbors were like, now that is respectable. Now that is palatable. You've got to love when people try and play fig leaves with an all-knowing God. Amen? So the writer of Hebrews is on to this because God's on to this. God said, that time out here. I see what you're doing here. You're taking the foundations of the faith, and you're reverting back so you blend in. So instead of, like, immersion baptism, let's get back to just ceremonial washing. Instead of repentance towards Christ, let's just not mention Christ, repentance to God. By the way, America loves when you talk about God. They just don't want you to talk about Jesus. They're not offended by God's name. They're offended by Jesus' name. And so is the early Jewish community. And so are Gentiles. But you can't play fig leaves with all-knowing God. Amen? You can't hide behind it and say, well, this is the same thing, Jesus, when he knows it's not. And what they were doing, and if you're kind of doing equivalent in today's culture, would be the equivalent of a slow drift towards a Christless Christianity. And don't we have a lot of that in our country now? churches that don't even talk about the gospel, don't even read the scriptures. It's just a motivational speaking. You might as well go to a New Age seminar. Religion that the non-believing Jews could respect. I said, but, but privately, we'll still pray to Jesus privately, but our public display will just be the foundational elements. And, and he's saying, you, you, you can't go back to these dead works. That's what they are. Kind of hiding Jesus and hiding the gospel and the new covenant truths behind the law's rituals, but convincing themselves in their minds that they were still honoring Jesus. And don't people self-deceive themselves a lot today? They do this, they do that, but they convince themselves, oh, I'm still following Jesus. But the world would say, I couldn't tell. Right? I couldn't tell if you were. Well, I am. Ask well, I don't have anyone to ask, but, to, but if I did, right? This is exactly what uh, William Booth, who was the founder of the Salvation Army there in London, where he warned of, you know, he said uh, back in the 1800s, he said, the chief danger of the 20th century will be religion without the Holy Spirit, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. He said that in the 1800s. He said that this will, when the 20th century dawns, this will be what will happen to Christianity. And we see it in our lifetime. We're in the 21st century now, but uh, we see this. Now, we know this is representative of America. We know this is representative of the lukewarm church and the compromised American church. But let me very sincerely say that we at CCR, we, that's why we pray together for revival, we need more Holy Spirit living too. Yes, yes. We do. Yes. Not just, I mean, I'm pointing to me too. We need more Holy Spirit living. We need more repentance in our life. We need repentance from apathy and comfortable plateaus where we're like, I'm just fine where I'm at. Where Jesus is saying, no, I'm, I'm saying to go on, to go on, to leave, leave the one time around the track. And it's time to, you've skirted this mountain long enough, it's time to go northward, as the Lord told Moses there. If we're spiritual and Christ-exalting worshipers, 
on Sunday, but we're significantly less Monday through Saturday, that's a problem, isn't it? I am so godly on Sundays. Don't catch up with me on Tuesdays or Wednesdays or anything like that. That, it, It ought not be. We should be growing throughout the week. This should be another starting point up the mountain for you. This Today shouldn't be the, the highlight. It should be the launching point. You, can, you have a personal walk with the Lord to continue to grow in his grace. But the writer gives a word of hope here, and I believe and I agree with uh, this word uh, for us, and certainly I think a lot of other scholars uh, would, would kind of take this passage, verse 3, Uh, and kind of look at it the same way that I do. And this we will do if God permits. Now, that's an encouraging word, isn't it? This we will do. We will move past just kind of, we're not going to stay re-blending. That's what he's saying. God is not going to permit, and and if if it's the will of God and we believe it is, he's not going to let us stay in that place. I'll paraphrase. We're going to move in the right God-honoring direction if he should bless it. Well, we already know he wants to bless that, right? The writer's just being very humble in the approach here, saying, look, we, even though we know the will of God, we still have a healthy respect of God that's always in his timing. Uh, how many of, there's things that you sincerely do want to grow in, and God hasn't done the full work in you yet. You're praying for it. Like you're the the apostles, Lord, increase our faith. That's a good prayer. But it sometimes doesn't come until God says, today's the day. This season's the season. But we say, Lord, if you permit. It's a humble uh, just approach in our prayer life. Now, immediately on the heels of uh, the closing chapter, uh, or the previous chapter in chapter 5, that closing rebuke, then combined uh, with the admonishment and the encouragement from starting in verses uh, 5.14, where it says, back to the last verse of chapter 5, but solid food belongs to those who are full age. Again, that's a maturity. Um, From there, through verse 3, comes we then enter into verse 4. One of the most sobering warnings you'll ever find in all of Scripture, and as I mentioned, equally it's one of the most difficult passages to navigate in all of Scripture because there's been debate for a couple thousand years, is exactly what is being said here. And I believe, one of the things I believe God does is sometimes God leaves some things a little cloudy to make sure you lean towards what you do know. That makes sense? Right? If, you're, if you were in a dark room, and here's what you know, you can't see anything, but you know there's a wall to your left, what do you do? You reach your hand, and you follow what you do know. The wall left. You don't say, well, I'm going to take my chances here. <laughs> right? <laughs> Can't see anything anyway, so let's just find out what's on the right side. No, no, you say, I, what I do know is right here. And so God says, I want you to keep your hand on the rock or the wall. And just follow along here. If you can't figure out what I'm saying here, when I get to heaven, I'll make this passage really clear. And I do think that this passage is a little difficult to understand. Nevertheless, God says it anyway. But I think we can understand it, hopefully, as we take a look at this last point. Uh, but again, there's been significant debate about it down through the ages. Uh, where I, um, but where I land on this, uh, based on where, where I land on this, I believe any debate about the text is a moot point when you compare it to what we do already have from the commands of Christ. It becomes a moot point. You'll see what I mean. Let's take a look at our last point this morning, forfeiting grace. Just two bullets today. Isn't that great? Just two. We have the Lord's Supper today, too. Uh, Forfeiting grace. Uh, Here's the warning. It says, for it is impossible. That's a heavy word right there. Remember, remember the apostle said, it's impossible for, who can be saved? It's impossible for a rich man to get through the eye of the needle. And Jesus said, what's impossible with men is possible with God. So God's got that covered, too. But the writer's saying, hey, this is heavy stuff here. It's impossible for those who are once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift to become partakers of the Holy Spirit. They've tasted the good work, word of God and the powers of the age to come if they fall away to return to the world, to just say, I don't want this anymore. If they fall away, to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame they basically spurn the blood of Jesus and say, 
I know he died on the cross, but I don't really care. I'm done with this. I'm drifting away. I don't, I'm not buying this anymore. Here's the warning. Remember I said it's a real warning to play around with being lukewarm or to just say I'm going to just try and blend in with the world because it's a, it's a trap by the enemy to deaden you to the things of the Spirit to the point where you say you become hard-hearted and really self-deceived. I mean, I mean, we have a couple of well-known Christian people in the last few weeks that have renounced their faith publicly. They're on Twitter and everything, and now they're embracing everything of the world. And these people, all these other things are so wonderful. How did I misunderstand it? You didn't misunderstand it. Now you're misunderstanding it. But here's the warning. It's being preached by the writer of Hebrews expressly, and it's being preached to a group of believers. This isn't a letter to unsaved people, so why would there be such a strong message of falling away and no repentance available if you fell away? Because it's written to a group of believers that were birthed by the living gospel and the Holy Spirit, but perhaps a few tares are in their midst. Perhaps. The warning is this. It is possible. Here's the warning, just in a nutshell. It is possible to be attracted to the things of Christ, to be attracted to the Word of God, to be happy about going to church, seeing people, to actually enjoy seeing people's lives transformed, to enjoy the work of the Spirit, to love worshiping and love worship music, to be motivated by sermons, to be encouraged by others, but still only be an observer. What a warning. You can have all of that and still be just an observer, just a watching through the window. Seems odd, doesn't it? Well, let me give you an analogy. Let's say you go to an ice cream shop. Is I'm the, I'm not, am I the only one that likes ice cream here? Okay, you say you go to an ice cream shop, you just love the smell of the waffle cone. As soon as you walk in, you're like, this could be heaven. You know, you're, you smell the waffle cones being made. The people are friendly. They're wearing beautiful, you know, little outfits and all that. And they, you, and they say you can try free samples. Isn't that the best when you can try it? Like, I'll try that one, that one. Uh, cotton candy. All right, let's try that too. You know, all these different things. You try all 12 of the samples. You love the music that's playing in the background. You're off work that day. You drink the courtesy water while you're there, a little courtesy <laughs> water over there, while you're trying to decide and commit to which flavor. Because you're debating. You're down to five, right? Which one of these five do I want? But then it comes to your mind, you're also attracted to the donut shop across the street. Now you're actually torn between the donut shop and the ice cream store you're actually in at the moment. You finally change your mind after trying all 12 flavors. You leave, and you actually go commit to the donut. But you were in there a while, and you liked it in there. And you were pleased with everything, and you embraced the place. You weren't against it at all, but you didn't ever commit and say, I'll take that. Very close, you were happy with the ice cream shop, with what it offered, and everything else, but you just couldn't commit because you were more attracted to something else. And you took yourself and went elsewhere, very close, but just no commitment. And in the spiritual realm, and the receiving of salvation, it's not just commitment, and certainly it's way bigger than donuts versus ice cream, right? You know, it's not just commitment, it involves repentance. Commitment plus repentance, turning from sin to Christ. In the spiritual realm, it's the receiving of salvation, not just, you know, you receive something that changes you completely when you turn to Christ and real genuine sincere faith and you say, Lord, I want to receive your forgiveness. You, you're changed from the inside out. Your taste buds change. And, that, and you, you choose Jesus over all other options, don't you? He's the pearl of great price. You actually say, I'm not leaving this shop in a sense of this is the place. I must commit. I'm getting something better than anything behind that ice cream stand. And unlike ice cream or a donut, Jesus paid for what we receive. He's there. You've got to pay for it, right? He said, I've already paid for that with my blood. 
It's a free gift, but it requires acceptance on his terms, which includes turning from sin, turning from self, and trusting only in him. It's the difference between, give another analogy, it's the difference between dipping your toes in the water of a pool and hanging out around the pool versus getting into the pool, right? Big difference, right? You get in the pool, you get wet, you get drenched. You, people can see the change once you've jumped in a pool, right? Especially if you're a lady and you did your hair perfect, you get in the pool, everyone knows, all right, that's not the way you looked 10 minutes ago, right? <laughs> I know, I got four girls. They're, this is the debate. Well, if I get in, I would have to shower, and then I'll have to shower, and then I'll have to do this, and I'll have to do hair, and all this other stuff. Whereas dudes, we just get in, we're like, what are, you take a towel, you're done. What are you, what, what's the problem? Right? But when you get in, people can tell you got in. And God says, it'll be, it'll be apparent that you got into the pool, not just standing outside. Well, I like the pool. It's great to hang out here. The water looks great. And Jesus says, I'm, I'm inviting you in, though. Remember, Jesus, Peter had to get out of the boat, right? He had to get out of the boat to come to Jesus. Jesus himself taught this very same thing. And it's not just the writer of Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews is building or actually reminding people of the very teachings of Christ. A word... Uh, Jesus himself taught a word that those who have investigated and tested or tasted, they've tasted the lifestyle of Christianity, but very well have not come to true repentance. They've tasted. That's my view of this text. Some people believe that this text means you can lose your salvation. I don't believe it means that. I believe you can test or taste for a while, but your test driving but it says they've tasted. There's a difference between tasting and really saying, give me the whole meal. Right? You can taste lots of things. But I believe Jesus already taught on this. Remember he's, uh, Nicodemus, John chapter 3. Nicodemus was already religious. He was already fervent in his religion. Did you know Nicodemus in John chapter 3 was more fervent in his faith than 90% probably of American Christians? I mean, he lived it out day in and day out. He was constantly probably at the temple, constantly in prayer. He fasted. He was more fervent. And Jesus said, but you must be born again. You've got, you got to get beyond tasting. You have to be rebirthed. You need spiritual rebirth, not church attendance, not taste testing. In Luke chapter 20, verse 18, listen to these words from Jesus. Again, these are the literal words of Christ. Whoever falls on that stone will be broken. But whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. It's a powerful passage. What does it mean? Well, he, Jesus said, you can look at the stone of Christ. You say, wow, that's a really strong stone, beautiful stone. You can walk around it. You can observe it, maybe even sit on it. But unless you're broken on it, you're still dead in your trespasses and sin. That's what Jesus said. He said, you, the stone, you have to fall on the stone and be broken on the stone. Matthew 12, 34. Jesus said, and when Jesus said that he answered, saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom. You're close, Jesus said. You're close, but you're not through the doors. Right answer. But Jesus said, you need a humble repentance and a surrender is needed. How about Matthew chapter 25? I encourage every Christian to read Matthew 25, one of the most powerful passages in all of Scripture, one of the most sobering and instructive. Matthew 25, you had the... In that same passage, you have the foolish virgin, you have the servant who buries his one talent, and finally you have the sheep and the goats where Jesus acknowledges that as the king, um, he speaks to those that could never find the time to love the lost or the hurting people. And he says in Matthew 25, 46, these will go into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. He's like, they, they did all the same stuff, um, kind of like through the motions, but they weren't really in me. They really didn't do the will of the Father. And he says that in Matthew chapter 7, you guys know this passage, one of the, more, uh, one of the most frightening passages in Scripture, Matthew 7, 22-24. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name, and then I will declare to them, this is why I don't believe it's a loss of salvation. I believe it was a never had. Jesus said, to, uh, I will declare to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. You didn't lose your salvation. You had never really, you had been, you had tasted it, but you hadn't really come to saving faith. 
Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So the writer of Hebrews is not saying something Jesus hadn't already taught. I know that here's the problem in America today. People don't teach these words from Jesus, for the most part. I'm not saying nobody does. There's lots of godly pastors in America. But many churches don't read these passages anymore. But they're still there. And Jesus says, I love you enough. that The statement from Jesus, um, again, is why I don't believe it's a loss of salvation. Many people, as 2 Timothy 3.5 tells us, they have a form of godliness, a form of godliness, an outward exterior of godliness, but the inward hasn't been changed. And it's a dangerous thing. They don't have new birth and new salvation. Now, it also says, again, it's impossible, verse 6, if to renew them again to repentance if they fall away. What does this mean? I really believe, and again, God will make it crystal clear when we get to heaven. All you need to do is, if you're in the dark, just hold on to the wall you have, the truth you have. Say, Lord, I know what I'm supposed to do. Just stay near Jesus, right? Just stay walking in Jesus. Don't play games with the Lord. Just stay walking with the Lord. But I believe that God is saying here, I do draw a line in the sand. I do draw a line in the sand. And you don't know when the line is drawn. It's a, it's a fool's game to say, I'll take my chances that God has... Ten more years for me to kind of decide this. Remember, Jesus said, you fool, tonight your soul is required of you. Tonight. So he says, it's impossible if you cross the line in the sand. Well, when is it? Well, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. So the line in the sand is any time where God says, look, you missed my today, whatever that was. Now, I don't know, again, uh, I know when I got saved in 19... 95, I felt in my spirit like the Lord was telling me, this may be your last chance. And that day, I got out of my seat, and I said, I don't care if I lose my friends. I don't care if I lose my job. I don't care if I lose anything. I'm coming to Jesus. It was his love, but also a firm, the Holy Spirit says, I'm I'm inviting you now, but this door could shut if you don't walk through it. So again, God has... Amazing grace, but he also says, here's where the water meets the shore and doesn't go any further. And so we know this is true because everyone has a point in time to die. We know that there is an end point for all, all provision of grace. So there is a line in the sand, so to speak. And furthermore, the vast majority of people uh, that, um, if you look at kind of so many things in the church, the vast majority of people that... Uh, name the name of Christ, or Christians, um, you know, there's a lot of tasting of the heavenly gift without surrendering to Christ, and many go back to the world. Haven't you met many people that used to go to church, and you meet them, and they say, yeah, I used to do that. Why don't you anymore? Uh, I don't know. Really? Christ lives inside of you, and you just spurn the work of the Spirit, that you no longer want to fellowship, you no longer want to get together. You know, I used to read the Bible, all this stuff. Um, that'd be like saying, I used to be my parents' kid. <laughs> right? right, right. It, it, and the economy of God, it doesn't make any sense to say that. If you, if you now belong to the Lord, you always will now, God's given you a taste for the, you don't just have a taste for it, but you've digested it. And so now you're walking in the Lord. Now, there's more. Jesus in the parable of the sower. There was two soils where the gospel is really received in a great way at first. But then what happens? Persecution or the cares of the world choke it out. At first, they're like, I'm going to church every day of the week. Then all of a sudden, little people start making fun of them. They get a raise. They get two raises. They get promotions. They don't have time for God anymore. Jesus said, that kind of faith is not saving faith. That was an initial tasting. It was a taste test. It was a test drive, but you opted for something else. So Jesus said, be very careful. That, that is not, that it, but then he said that where the uh, seed falls into good soil, it bears fruit, doesn't it? It grows. Um, what happens is those that receive but not saving faith, they're never rooted. They're never rooted in the Lord. So there's no growth after that. 
2 Timothy 4.10, Paul warns this, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. He said, Demas loved the world more than Christ. He, he, wished, he was doing great work for us, but he said, eh, tired of this, too hard. People make fun of me. I'm losing out at work. When other people are passing me by, they're getting promotions because I'm a Christian. Demas said, I'm, I'm done with it. I'm going back to the world. So 1 John 2.19, the apostle John warns of it. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For had they been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might be made manifest, and none of them were of us. Again, I know these aren't popular scriptures. That's why I've been on warfare all morning, right? <laughs> Satan hates these scriptures because God gives them to us because he wants us to know them. Again, I don't, uh, um, based on the totality of scripture, I don't believe a believer can lose their salvation. Jesus, if you are saved, you have the assurance of salvation, right? You have the assurance of salvation. No one can pluck you out of the Father's hand. Some, some solid believers do believe you can lose your salvation. There's denominations. I'm, I'm friends with some of those pastors that believe you can lose your salvation. Uh, they're not lost because they believe that. They just, they just see this text in that way. And, I'm, and again, I don't, I don't part fellowship with those that see it that way. I don't believe that. I don't believe that the totality of Scripture says that. Uh, and, um, you know, but here's the thing. The serious... A couple, one other thing before I get to that. Uh, a couple other things. Jesus said this. If the Son has set you free, you're what? Free indeed. He's, you're free. He's not putting you back in chains again. So I believe it's a one-time deal. Saved is saved. You're, you're, you're free in Christ. And um, for all eternity, he also said that you have eternal life. Those that have come to him have eternal life. Uh, but it's still a moot point, even if you said, well, I heard a great teaching about losing your salvation. Here's the moot point. Jesus said, if you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. As long as you just keep abiding, Jesus will never cast you out. Pastor Chuck used to say, Pastor Chuck Smith used to say, uh, you can't lose your salvation. You could toss it and throw it away. But if you toss it and throw it away, in eternity future, you never really had it. Does that make sense? Because God sits outside of time. So you never really had it in the first place if you could toss it. But you wouldn't toss it any more than if I gave you a million bucks. You would say, I'm going down the James River and throw it right over the bridge. Once you know its value, you would never toss it. And God won't rip it out of your hands either. So you can't lose. Does that make sense? Yes. You can't lose yourself. He's not going to come and take it away. He said, I've made you free. You have everlasting life. But he also will throw in passages like this just to kind of light a fire. Amen? Yes. Just to make sure you're listening. Just to make sure I'm listening. But if we abide in Christ, nobody can pluck us out of his hand. We're going to bear fruit. We don't have to worry about our salvation. We can have joyful restful, peaceful confidence. Amen? Amen. And if you're convicted here today, maybe Jesus is saying it's time for you to come home. Maybe, maybe someone here is not saved. And he's saying it's time for you to come home and receive my grace. On the other hand, if you just say, Lord, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to blend in, but I have got a little stale. And God is saying, all right, back in line. Do the things that, do those first works. Remember your first love, as Jesus wrote to the church in Revelation. And let's close with some encouragement. How about that? Look at verse 9. This is looking forward to next, next time we look in the passage. I love pastors that give you all the bad news and then give you a word of encouragement. Here's the, here it is, right here. Look at verse 9. Jane, whoever wrote this did all this, and then they say this. You're like, after you're sweating bullets, you read verse 9. But, beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation. Though we speak in this manner, this rough manner. Isn't that awesome? This is like a parent saying, if you leave, if you don't drive this way, you could die. Everything could go wrong. But I think you're a good driver. <laughs> right? Isn't that great? What the writer is saying, of all the stuff that, that we see in you, we think you've heard God and you've said, we're going to stop trying to hide our faith and we're going to be back to the Christians we are called to be. That's what the writer's saying. This is looking forward to next week. We'll look, not next week, Sam will be here next week. But the week after, we'll be looking at the better estimate that we see in verses 9. So in other words, isn't that great? Lord's saying, yes, I see your misgivings. I see you've drifted a little bit. But I'm confident one good message from 
the guy I'm sending to write this letter to you, and you'll wake out of your kind of doldrum. Amen? Amen. That's what the Lord is saying. I hope it's true of us. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just bow our heads before you. And Lord, we know that you don't give us these difficult things because you despise us, whom the Lord loves. He chastens. He corrects. He wakes up. Lord, you wake up out of a sleep so we would recorrect our course before we would go over a cliff. And so, Lord, I just pray that you've spoken to, if, if someone here doesn't know you or someone has been drifting from you, in both cases, they would turn back to you. For that's your desire. And when our heads bow, I just want to ask, is there anyone here the Lord spoke to you and said, I don't know Jesus really as my Lord and Savior. I've had a form of religion or, a, or, or I believe this stuff, but I've never really given my heart and life to him. I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray with you. So you said, that's me. I, I have a, I've tasted the things of the Lord, but I've never said, Lord, I'm throwing myself on the stone of your grace and mercy. Please forgive me, wash me, fill me. Because when I got saved in 1995, I believed everything about the Bible was true. I just had never really repented. I thought I was a Christian. A lot of people thought they were before they got saved. Anyone at all said, that's me. I don't want to just believe that it's true. I want to believe in Christ, in him, be part of him. Anyone at all? For the rest of, if all of us are saved, praise God, I pray there's not a single lost person here. But here's the thing. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. Take this time. If you've kind of drifted, you tried to blend in lately, say, Lord, I'm sorry. I want to walk in your grace and in the work of your spirit. Amen? Lord, I want to have a hunger. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Lord, I want to desire you the way you desire for me to grow, to mature. And I, Lord, I want to thank you again for the cross. That's what we're going to be doing. So as the worst team plays, I invite the men forward. They're going to pass up the elm. Just take a few minutes to talk to the Lord and just make things right between you and the Lord.